Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. On this episode, we are on with Jennifer Reeling, who is an athletic trainer out in the D.C. area. Uh, this topic we get into is a lot about AT governance, uh, all the things that they are doing out in D.C. currently to get licensed, and it is, sounds like quite the adventure. Um, so we learned quite a bit about just the process there. Also, some of the different committees and different things that Jennifer has served on, including coming up on being the chair of the secondary uh, school committee, which will be really interesting, and we're looking forward to already a pre-planned follow-up for that episode, uh, just figuring out and hearing what she was able to do and what she learned through that process. So if you have any interest in getting involved with the State Association or beyond, this is a great episode to listen to. As always, we are powered by Mueller. They do what they can to help support us as a profession. They're always looking to do things to help advance athletic training, whether it's just new ideas for products or just to help push the field and profession forward itself. So please give Mueller um, a look, or if you've got a question, reach out to them. They will get back to you in due time. With that, enjoy. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Jennifer Reeling, which I probably should have asked if that was pronounced yeah, right. You're, that's correct. You're good. Perfect. Um, that we just were going through Twitter looking for interesting people to talk to and stumbled across your account. And uh, with a lot of stuff you've done, especially with uh, AT governance and different things, which is why we wanted to talk to you, plus uh, being in the D.C. area and all the things you've done in the high school there. Uh, seemed like a very interesting conversation. So with that, we want to turn it over to you just to give a little bit of background, and then we'll jump into some of the topics. All right. Um, I am a 29-year veteran of the D.C. public school system. I'm one of the original athletic trainers that were hired back in 1991, and we worked under Frank Walters. Um, there are six of us, uh, original 14 remaining. And um, throughout that time period, we joined the DCATA when we were young and energetic and gung-ho, and it kind of fell off when everybody started getting married and having kids. And um, the other problem with DC is they say 10% of any membership usually is active in an organization. So DC is really a city trying to function as a state. Yep. So we don't have a huge membership. So it fell dormant throughout the 90s. And then around 2000, we're like, we should really work on licensure. And we'd all get together some other time. We'd say, we should really work on licensure. And nobody really picked up the ball and ran with it. So um, we were working on reformulating the DCATA, the MAATA, the Mid-Atlantic Athletic Trainers Association, had been holding our dues funds in escrow for us. So we had to have a meeting and we had to have a vote for officers and they would release those funds back to us. So we were working on that part, and Amy Callender from the NATA office calls and says, uh, did you see this? And D.C. passed a licensure law for us. So um, it was not athletic trainer friendly. It was written by the then president of the D.C. chapter of the APTA. Okay. And it restricted us to athletes, by definition, um, belonging to a team and um, only to musculoskeletal injuries. So we were panicked. It was sitting on the mayor's desk. 
we had about three days to decide if we wanted to try to intervene with the mayor and get him to not sign it or if we just wanted to let it go hire lobbyists and work on the back end and that's the route we chose because we just were over our heads we didn't know what we were doing so so we chose that and I can say now that was about 2012 I believe and um, a little later 2014 I believe and now we are um, the language has changed we are no longer under the um, Board of Physical Therapy on that law. We are now under the Board of Medicine. Um, so now with DC, we're in the regulation phase. So we're working with the Board of Medicine and their lawyers to write the regs that will affect um, how they're gonna actually enact the law with us. So we're probably still, I'd say a good year away from actually applying for licensure. So I joke now that maybe I'll be a licensed AT before I retire. <laughs> but so that's, that's, we're doing pretty good there, so. Um, simultaneously with that, the DC State Association formed. We did not have a state association, yep. and they formed and it, to increase our footprint in DC and to um, gain exposure. I encouraged the formation of a SMAC. So, because I encouraged the formation of the Sports Medicine Advisory Committee, I then also became chair of the Sports Medicine Advisory Committee. So, um, so that all that sort of happened accidentally. Like we weren't very, um, uh, we didn't put a lot of forethought into laying out this course that we've been on the last uh, six or seven years, but everything just kind of came together all at one time. So that's where we're at, we're at with that. I don't even know where to begin with the question. <laughs> that is, I mean, just the learning experience and like going through, because the political realm by itself in any, area an arena um is its own beast from what i can gather i mean how is that something you just kind of picked up as you went like understanding it and going through it um right so the nata was critical okay. um, without the nata there would be no dcata we would not have licensure or we'd have licensure but it would probably still be the ineffective bill that it was Amy Callender and the Governmental Affairs Committee have been critical. Our operating budget runs between seven and eight thousand dollars, and nobody is going to, um, uh, no lobbyist is going to work for that. Right. So, so we apply for the um, Governmental Affairs Grant. Um, we have since this started. Um, they have met us every step of the way. Um, Amy Callender and I have each other on speed dial. Um, I'm glad to say I don't have to call her very often now, but those first couple years, she and Judy Polici, who used to work in the NATA office, were, I, I can't even say how critical their help and guidance and um, their advice was. Um, Amy um, even set up a meeting with me for the NATA lobbyist who works on a national level, just so he could help me, like, what do we need to ask? What do we need to look for? Um, and we have been very fortunate to find a lobbyist who um, lives, eats, and breathes the D.C. City Council. And so he's been um, really good at getting us, you know, where we need to be and in front of the people we need to be in front of. I had a question. No, I've lost it because I got too many other thoughts going through my head. I guess just in starting this up, because um, you served as the president, correct? Yes. Not, no longer currently? 
No, um, in our structure, I was the president for two years. Then you can serve for one year at the memberships um, uh, will, which they did extend my term. And then I was the past president for two years. I'm no longer on the executive board. But again, like I said, very small membership. Right. So there's about eight of us that, yeah, I, do, I, can, I am just as well versed in what the DCAT is, a is doing now as I was when I was president because it's still the same group of us that's pretty much moving everything. So I, was um, I also, once that took off, then I picked up um, uh, other things um, like the MAATA. Once you're the president of your state, then you also sit on the executive council for the um, district. And so that led to other things. And um, as I mentioned prior to getting on our call, then um, I will be the next NATA secondary school chair in June. So I kind of had to start um, turning over some of those DCATA duties <laughs> to other people so I can, you know, pick up those responsibilities. Well, I definitely want to come back to the secondary school chair um, here in a second, but in your role as the president and just kind of, I know it's a smaller group, but even then it's not always easy. Like, what did you find most useful to like bring everybody together towards like this obviously very important cause of getting you guys yourselves recognized and then really having to go against somebody else to get you know kind of establish right so it was easy to get the membership involved because everybody was concerned about licensure um clearly that's going to affect every last one of us we carry a membership around 70 it's been a little bit less it's been a little bit higher I am greatly curious to see once we have to be licensed, how many athletic trainers there actually are practicing in the city. Okay. Um, the secondary school athletic trainers um, kind of carry um, the active membership right now. And then we have a pretty good group of collegiate athletic trainers, but um, not really haven't identified too many in other settings um, specifically. So um, it helps that um, I work with 13 other athletic trainers in the DC public school system. So I can kind of say, Hey, <laughs> I need you to do this. And, you know, yeah. and the lead athletic trainer, Jamila Watson is like hugely, um, she gets it. And if we need time to do something, she works it. So we have time to, you know, get something done. Um, her support has been ridiculous I mean she gives me time to do these things we cover all high school events all middle school athletic events and some elementary school events and she'll she'll work the schedule if things are like hectic with um, me having to meet with people or whatever she'll work the schedule so maybe the other athletic trainers are picking up some of my slack in that regard so that um, all of our um, athletic events are covered but that my uh, commitment outside of my building might be a little bit less for a week or two while I get things taken care of so uh, that's been helpful um, uh, so like I said, having them right there, but licensure was really what drove it. And that's what got people coming to our meetings and stuff. So I, I did not have to work hard. We're actually facing more of an issue right now because there's nothing, um, um, pressing going on right at the minute. We're just working with the lawyers to write the regs, making sure they say what we need them to say. So it's kind of a slow period. So that's one of our battles right now. If we've got a membership of 70 and they say about 10%, well, that leaves us about seven people. So how do you have committees? How do you raise funds? Uh, how do you uh, meet events? The NATA will call on us because we're in the nation's capital and say, hey, we need you at this health and fitness fair, you know, at the Rayburn building or whatever. So it's the same ones of us. So in a way, if you wanted to be active and get your face out there, 
it was a natural thing here. I really had no choice. Um, so yeah, they see the same three or four of us everywhere we go. So people probably think that I am the DCATA and, um, I have, uh, there's a woman in the public charter school here, Tina Carrillo, who's the district three PR, um, chair. And, um, she is our lifeblood. She does all the behind the scenes stuff. She's the most organized person I've ever seen. Um, so she'll keep me on track. She, um, you know, reminds me what's going on. She's my sounding board. She's my, everything that I need. It comes right from Tina. She's right there and does everything. And what she has taken on her shoulders is huge. It's an immense amount and more than she needs to. But if nobody else steps up, then she's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. So she's been a great help too. So always good to have those people. <laughs> critical. Yeah, absolutely critical. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Critical. Yeah, definitely not a one man show for sure. So you've uh, clearly had a lot of leadership roles um, kind of throughout the years here. What would say, what would you say has kind of stuck out the most in maybe what you've learned, um, even just about yourself and kind of the whole process of taking over those responsibilities? So one probably about myself is my lack of patience. So like when we were trying to form everything and there were seven or eight or nine of us, like kind of like, which way do we go? Which way do we go? I'm like, okay, we got to pick a way. And so I stepped up. I really was not going to run for the presidency. And um, the woman who was would have been excellent and um, would have done a great job and is probably way more diplomatic than I am and definitely has a lot more patience than I do. But we weren't really um, gelling in a direction. And I, it surprised me, actually. I didn't really perceive... I knew that I could have a strong voice, but I wasn't really looking for leadership roles. And um, when Dr. Walters first um, put me up to be the district three rep to the SSATC back in the 2000s, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about all this and definitely in over my head. Um, we had a lot of um, challenges. I didn't have internet at school. I didn't have long distance. I couldn't make phone calls. Um, you know, I was really hindered as to what I could do um, as a committee member. And so um, I really had to, you know, find ways to, to manage to get it done. It's the first time I invested personally in a laptop. I'm like, I need to be able to do this stuff and, um, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it might my taste for leadership surprised me. Um, and definitely, I think a lot of it's driven by my lack of patience and okay, we just need to go in a direction. Let's pick one and, and go. So, yeah, um, good solution. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, I really didn't set out. I didn't seek any of this. It just kind of kept coming and I'm like, well, we just need to keep it going. And so much like Tina, I'm like, um, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, nobody else is standing here. Okay. I'll do it. And so, um, you know, that kind of thing. It just, there was a need and needed to be done. And, um, yeah, I was just like, okay, let's go. We'll figure it out. So if someone were wanting to get more involved in like the AT government, or we can tie this into the committees, which I still definitely want to get to that secondary. It's something I've thought about, you know, I'm 10 years into my career. Um, you know, at some point kind of getting involved with that Greg's just finishing up year one of a master's program here so just in the beginning phases what would ideas thoughts advice you would give for people that yeah, show up absolutely show up i have a I'm, I'm a preceptor for george mason and i have a student that 
without me prompting her, she signed up. To, we're in DC, so I get that. There's no not much cost involved, but she signed up for Capitol Hill Day. Um, she goes to meetings. She, um, if anybody invites her anywhere, we said, yeah, you can come to our staff meetings. She shows up to our staff meetings. So that's a big thing. Get to know people. Put yourself out there. Make yourself known. Um, face recognition. Um, I had to give a speech to a lecture to the students at the Virginia Athletic Trainers Association uh, meeting. She went with me to that. You know, she um, introduces herself. So that's a big thing. There is still. It was a lot worse when I was younger, but there's still. Um, and it can be kind of intimidating. And there's a lot of. Um, homogenous looks to uh, the people who serve right now. And we definitely need um, fresh blood. We need young blood. We need people from different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures because um, we don't all do things the same way. And um, I tell my students when they come to me, my athletic training students, I learn from them as much as they learn from me, maybe more or less. Mm -hmm. A lot of what you're taught now in school wasn't even close to being our scope. And um, so, yeah, I, I feel like um, I'll be eligible to retire in about three years and people are like, oh, you won't go. I probably will go pretty soon. The kids need something better. My patients need, you know, better care. And um, for me to learn now what you're learning in school now is I mean, it's night and day and it just your skill set is so much broader than what I was taught. I've been certified since 91 and it's just, it's just not even the same. Back then, almost every athletic trainer was school-based, athletic-based and, you know, we just didn't, you know, need that. A big thing now is getting athletic trainers to recognize themselves as medical practitioners and understand that um, using a rectal thermometer is a standard of care. And to not do it is a bigger problem than doing it. So many high school athletic trainers that practice in high schools, oh, I'm not using that on a minor. Would a doctor not use it on a minor? You know, it's, it's a standard of care. And are you failing that athlete if you're not doing, you know, what we know is the best care for them? So, um, you know, definitely in that regards, um, you know, time for some fresh blood and, uh, you know, the changing of the guard, so to speak. And so it makes me excited for the future of the profession and where it's going to go. We're kind of caught right now in a crossover with the master's program and, and, you know, there's some identity issues that we need to work out. And, um, but, you know, not continually complaining about that we're called athletic trainers and not continually complaining about not wanting to dress a certain way, whether it looks professional or not professional, but worrying about the care that you're providing and understanding that in many situations, you are the sole, sole reason or the sole ex example of what an athletic trainer is and could be. So if it's more comfortable for you to act in unprofessional manner, then that's going to be what your community sees. That's going to be what your patients remember. That's going to be what your administration sees. But um, if you remember that you are that shining example of what an athletic trainer can be then and let that guide your movements and guide your actions and remember that the patient is always the reason you do what you do then you know everything else falls in line and and you don't have to worry about what is the nata doing for me all of where we are now was built on somebody else's shoulders and somebody has to carry that torch and so if you don't like where things are now, be part of the solution and work to, to improve things 
Um, there's so much negativity on social media. It's so frustrating. And I'm like, instead of criticizing and poking and, you know, everything, step up and be a better leader. Step up and be a better example. You don't have to be president. You don't have to be on committees. You can be an example where you are. So um, that's my other thing. Just start where you are. Clean your house. You know, make sure where you are is where it's supposed to be. This may be an impossible question just because, you know, obviously social media. Social media has been around version probably, and it's more so now. Like, do you feel like there has been a shift just in your experience of, like, you, you kind of mentioned, like, you know, people were building because we had to build. And now it's, uh, well, what has so-and-so done for me lately? Like, how have they helped me out? I could not agree more um, with your, you know, get your house in order kind of a thing. We were actually having this conversation just the other day, you know, about, you know, is having the towel over your shoulder really the end of the world? Yet if you are just making athletic training, which I think the high school athletic trainer has such a profound impact because that's everybody's first exposure typically. Right. So if we, when we get them here in college, if they had a bad experience, we've got some work to do. They had a great experience. We may still have work to do because their experience was so good, but it automatically gives us credibility. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, and I, tell my, I tell my students that go on to D1, I said, you'll think I'm the worst athletic trainer you ever met when you get there. I said, because I'm me with an itty bitty budget in my itty bitty room, which I have a really good room, but um, you know, it's still that. And we, like I said, we cover middle school events and um, all high school events and some middle school, um, some elementary school events. So I may not be there every single day. And so I tell them, I'm like, go and get to know your athletic trainers, you know, you know, understand that they have a lot more resources available to them. I don't tape. I do very little prophylactic taping because I don't have the time and I don't have the budget. And so I don't particularly believe in taping an ankle just for, yeah, the sake of taping an ankle. But I tell them, you know, when you're in college, there's going to be younger athletic trainers that need to learn how to tape and they'll tape anything coming at them, you know, or whatever, or they have a bigger budget or they have GAs or they have, you know, whatever. So just because I won't do it doesn't mean nobody's going to do it. And, you know, I, I tell them, I said, but nobody will ever love you as much as I do. So just remember that when you go, but, but yeah, that's a, a big, um, a big thing, you know, is, is you have to set that tone. And like I said, not everything, for example, the NATA does for us is tangible. So does an athletic trainer in rural Illinois know that the NATA governmental affairs committee kept us running, got us licensure, got us, um, uh, under the board of medicine, helped get us the wording that we needed. No, they don't know that. But so just because I don't see the trickle down effect specifically to me, um, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. And yeah. And instead of complaining about things on social media, go to the source. The NATA staff is ridiculous. I don't know how they manage to hire such really good employees that buy into athletic training and what we do, but they will do everything possible to help you get the resources you need. If there's something we're not doing, or if there's something you want from the secondary school committee, by all means, let me know. We'll work on it. We'll figure it out, or I'll let you know why it's not feasible. And so, um, you know, we're membership driven and we have no membership, then we have no, no business. And so, you know, and that's what I tell even my students at the school, you have to understand where your bread and butter is. And so, Coach will say, oh, you just don't want the kids to play. 
if the kids don't play, I have no job. <laughs> I'm not trying to work myself out of a job. Yeah. And so, you know, I, sometimes I think the coaches lose fact of who they answer to. And so, yeah, um, but that's what I say. Job security. Cause yeah. job is, somebody's going to get hurt. That's just the nature of it. Yeah. 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 And so, and I tell, you know, my kids, my students, my patients get it, um, that I was a, a college athlete. I'm not trying to sit. It was miserable sitting. Um, whether it's because I wasn't good enough to be on the court or it was because of an injury I had. But, um, you know, that's not my – I'm not a, a conservative athletic trainer. And, you know, so it's frustrating with the coaches, you know, oh, she's just going to hold you out. Don't go to her. And so, you know, I try to do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff with the um, students so that they understand where I'm coming from and what I can do for them. So, I can only imagine the challenge of that at the high school level. Still, 29 years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate. Um, yeah. Coming back around to the secondary school committee, moving into the chair position, you said this um, upcoming summer. What are some of the main goals you have to get accomplished when you get into that position? So the first thing is the the chairs before me left awfully huge footprints, and so my primary focus is to not let the whole committee uh, implode. <laughs> following in the footsteps of the men that I'm following in. So um, that's my, my primary footing. The other, uh, my second goal is um, really right now is to find the committee's identity. They have just completed many huge um, undertakings. Um, they revamped um, and updated the appropriate medical care standards document uh, for the secondary school aged athletes. Um, that was a huge undertaking. And then they developed PASS, which is a, an online program to help you, an individual athletic trainer or an organization, evaluate their facility and the care they're providing to make sure they're meeting everything. Do they have EAPs? Are there uh, policies and procedures up to date? And do they match current practices? Um, are those things usable, practiced? Um, are they, um, you know, legitimate, it, you know, that, those sorts of things. So it takes you through all 12 standards and asks you for, to input the data. This we're doing, this we're working on, um, this we really need to put more work in. And so it's a huge, um, it's a huge project for any individual to do, but it's not meant to sit down and just knock it all out in one sitting. You know, it's meant to do it in chunks, go through and check off everything that you are good on. And so that, that whittles it down. And now you work on the low hanging fruit, um, you know, do the next easiest things to get done. And then eventually your policies and procedures will be done. They're in a locatable um, file. Um, if, if I retire and move, they're there for my predecessor. Uh, I mean, my uh, successor and uh, you know, everything's there. So um, that's huge, but that was a huge project. Um, they also have been working on committee-based NATA nationally recognized awards for athletic trainers. So this was our inaugural year for those. So we hit some snags and some bumps, and so we're going to smooth those out. Um, so, but yeah, I just really want, um, you know, a lot of polling of the committee, and I'll probably post some stuff on social media and see what do we need now? Where do we need to look? What's the next thing that we need to really focus on? Um, one thing definitely is... Um, um, working on diversity and inclusion and making sure nobody feels like they're not welcome to the table and that their voice doesn't count. I want everybody to make sure, everybody to know. So um, a big thing with that in my mind is mentoring students 
students. Like I said, take I take a student um, anywhere I can go if I if they're allowed to be there, so that they see they see me in a leadership role, they see me in a lecturing role, they see me in a volunteering role, you know, whatever. So, um, um, and I tell them I'm not trying to make many me's. I'm trying to make many yous that are doing what you're passionate about. So. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges that you're going to face on that one? Just in the committee at all? Yeah. Um, part of it is finances. Like I would love it if we could have a, um, put student members um, on different committees, but like to bring somebody to joint committee meeting, especially if we're going to do it for every committee, that's, that's a huge amount of money. Right. So, um, you know, but just, just to find ways to intentionally and meaningful reach out to young professionals or to students or um, to uh, people of other ethnicities, whatever, to reach out and intentionally bring them to the table um, and give them the time and the space, you know, to make their thoughts heard. Um, just like I said, to be very intentional about that, to be very thoughtful and, and purposeful about it. We were talking to a high school athletic trainer the other day, and he was throwing around a lot of the statistics, you know, about high schools that do have coverage or, you know, full-time versus, you know, just somebody there and still being a good chunk, 30% and change that have nobody thoughts on you know is that something that is going to potentially be looked to address or like how that goes is that an educational bit or yeah that's largely educational um i think people um think that the nata has greater power than what it really does but you they can't nobody nobody can mandate that you hire an athletic trainer because we're all hired by different people. Right. And um, yeah, it's every single different state, every different school board, whatever. So it, it's just a matter of, um, yeah, education, uh, PR, both things, which I think the NATA do a great job of. Um, but although those numbers are an improvement and they're great, I'm not comfortable with them. Having access to an athletic trainer, you know, I'm not even a full-time athletic trainer to my students. And, you know, as I've said before, if on a Wednesday during football season, I have to leave and go cover uh, cross-country meets, nobody's at my school, you know, monitoring my, uh, my students in, a, in an athletic health care manner. And so I have to trust that my coaches paid attention when we were going over the um, EAP and that they don't panic and that they know what to do and that they'll recognize a problem when there is a problem. Um, as you guys know, some things manifest in a, in a less threatening way and quickly turn worse. And, you know, those are the things that it scares me when I have to leave. Um, who's paying attention to that and who's watching. Um, but so, yeah, I think the numbers are better and I'm glad that we're, you know, hyping that up, but definitely I just don't understand why athletic trainers or appropriate medical care is the one thing that everybody sees as expendable or is the one thing that everybody sees as a luxury, or, well, I wish we could. And, you know, some, somehow there needs to be more teeth to that, and you pay coaches, and you pay referees, and you pay for buses, and you pay for uniforms, and none of those things save lives. None of those things save lives. And if it's your child that is the one that isn't appropriately managed, or isn't, their life isn't saved, then was it worth the salary and the budget? 
I just, to me, I just don't, I just, like I said, 29 years later, I just don't understand that. Yeah. So just, um, you know, keeping up the constant messaging um, and um, putting athletic trainers in the unfortunate uncomfortable position of, um, well, we need to hype you up because you saved a life. None of us went into athletic training to be in front of the camera. And so, but I need you to speak, you know, I need you to say, I'm so glad I was there. I'm so glad my school district that we had an AED, you know, I'm glad I recognize the signs and symptoms, you know, whatever. And, and that, that, that probably to me has been the most uncomfortable thing about my entire trajectory is I would prefer to be off camera too. <laughs> and um, not really comfortable being in front of a room full of people. And the first few times I talked to, I talked to students, it was humiliating. And so I was so nervous and um, I've gotten better, not great, but better. And, uh, but yeah, it's just stepping out of that comfort zone and letting people know what you do. And uh, yeah, understand it's not personal. You understand their budget. You understand their concerns. You understand their frustrations. Um, it's not directed directly at you, but that these things really need to change. I I agree. Yeah, it's that humble, it's being proud of your profession and what you do. It's like the humble brag where you're not really bragging about it, but yeah, hopefully they're talking to you. It seems like there's been a lot of narrative shift in like when you see a story about an athletic trainer, it's one of two things. Either it's A, because they helped and saved a life or averted something catastrophic, or B, there wasn't one present, which isn't coming at the person, but right. something happened and no one yeah. was present. So it, we always used to joke it's if people are talking about you because something bad happened because somebody couldn't play or something like that. But it seems right, right. even in, there's been a good shift in that overall. Right. Well, and that data is difficult to collect too, because when a catastrophic uh, event or fatality occurs, nobody's looking to go report that in detail. Right. And of course, yeah, nobody wants to say, Oh, well I was there and I did this and risk, you know, setting themselves up for something. But yep. if we don't have those numbers, if we don't know that when someone, um, when there was a fatality, if somebody was there and how it was managed, then we don't know how much of an impact we're making and, and what we need to make better. And so those are difficult, you know, uh, conversations too. And right. in the times of the unthinkable and you're so concerned with other things, you know, we need that data. <laughs> That's not comfortable. So, well, anything else specific around these topics that we didn't get to that you'd like to cover? No, I would. I would just like to say again. You know, reach out. Reach out to somebody on a committee. Reach out to the NATA office. Um, you know, reach out. And I'm on social media, and I use my name, so I'm easy to find. You know, right. so that um, people can find me. Yeah, and um, it, it's just reach out and, and what specifically, what was specifically do you see would help you? And, you know, just saying, Oh, you know, nobody does anything for me or ah, da, da, da. what do you need? What do you want? What will help you? And, and give us a chance to work on that. Yeah. And I feel like some people would struggle with that answer. Yeah. I mean, you really yeah. haven't thought about it that hard. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, if you got time, we can jump into the kind of the athletic training chat five, if that works for you. Yeah, we're off uh, school this week, so I've got all the time you need. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Uh, so the first one I'll kick off is where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? I, I think it's just going to continue to become more and more 
medically based with more of a medical front. Um, I, the, I think um, senior athletic trainers, we're going to end up having to take competency exams to maintain. Um, it, I don't know how else, I think that's a great idea because I don't know how else do you address the gap between a student and me. You know, there's um, 29 years worth of uh, less formal education and, and schooling than the things that they're being taught in the programs now. And so how am I going to stay up on that? How do I know what to stay up on? Um, again, if I'm a rural athletic trainer and I'm just out in the middle taking care of my, my school, how do I even know? Am I, especially if I'm not an ATA member, how do I even know what current best practices are? How do I know where to look? And so, yeah, I think competency exams are going to be the way to go. Um, uh, not looking forward to, uh, you know, having to take them, but I also want to provide the best possible care to my patients. So it is what it is. Um, but I think it'll make people be more purposeful and meaningful about their CEUs as well. Um, instead of all the, oh, I've got 18 hours to get 12 more CEUs before the deadline, you know, you know, clearly you're not going to be able to learn suturing or, you know, any other advanced skill that we're incorporating, you know, in a 12 hour, I mean, in a CEU course online. So it's going to make people more purposeful about what they choose to do with their time. Um, which is only to our patients. I can see a lot. I like how you embrace that. I can see a lot of people railing back against it. It's oh, another thing and another. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's changed. I'm sure there will be expense involved. You know, one with the the courses you're going to have to take, and two, perhaps even with um, paying for the competency exams. Um, always a challenge. Not all athletic trainers are paid well. And, um, to say, you know, to, to understate that grossly. And, um, so yeah, it, it, and change is always difficult. And I'm not, I would be petrified of a composite exam right now. And, um, I've worked for 29 years with high school students that still ask me to say, Oh, thank God it's not broke. It's just fractured. And so I have had to modify my use of the vocabulary, you know, to, so they understand what I'm talking about. So if I'm not sure I could pass just a, a medical terminology exam anymore. And so, um, you know, to go back and do that, but does that mean I don't think it's necessary and that it would help me? It absolutely would help me, which then in turn helps my patients. And so at the end of the day, that's our end game. Gotcha. Um, what advice would you give yourself as a young athletic trainer? Do not take things personally. Do not take things personally. Do not take things personally. Every time a coach didn't uh, do what I asked him to do or said this is what's supposed to be done or a student didn't follow through, I was mad and angry and why don't they do what I said and, and they don't like me and it's because I'm young, it's because I'm a female, it's because I'm a minority, it's, it was anything else and it had nothing really to do with me. It was a change in the culture. They hadn't had athletic trainers. There were rules on the books that now that we're there, we have to. We have a supervisor saying, "Okay, this are our these are our policies and procedures, and this is what we have to do." So my supervisor is telling me this, but this coach is saying we never did that, and that's not how we do things. And and I'm saying, "No, you have to because I'm going to get in trouble if we don't do things." And so yeah, the the biggest thing was I would say is. Don't take things personal and keep your focus on your patient. I can stand and tell anybody that a, an athlete is not going to participate when I know that I've made the best decision for that, 
that athlete's well-being. And then I can take the heat from the coach. I can take the heat from the parent. I can take whatever because I know I did what I was supposed to do for that, the well-being of my patient. What has been one of the most influential resources you found in your career? Uh, mentoring, for sure. And so um, Frank Walters, who's now down in Florida, was huge. He saw leadership capabilities in me that I had, did not perceive. Um, and he kind of shoved me out there and made me, you know, look at those things. Um, he's been a good sounding board. Um, I would say mentorship and even, um, I don't know what the word is, but the, uh, my peers, using my peers as a sounding board. There are pros and cons to different models of athletic training in the high school setting. Uh, for example, Tina, my friend in the public charter school setting, she's a standalone athletic trainer in her high school. I am a school district employee assigned to my high school and I have 13 colleagues in the same situation. So whereas it's very easy for her to um, enact change because it's just, okay, I'm going to adopt it and do it. And right. I, we have to, yeah, we have to work on 13 people and a school system and it's got to go through legal and, you know, all that. It, it's hard. But to have people that can say, hey, I've never seen this present like this before. What do you think? Or um, both as a practitioner and as, okay, so um, Tina and I frequently call, hey, I got this email and somebody asked something. I don't really know. What do you think, you know, the answer should be, you know, or whatever. Or even just to have somebody say, hey, um, do you think you should have your dog at practice with you when you're supposed to be, you know, whatever. I mean, it's a good checks and balances. Um, yeah, just to have mentors and have people you can bounce ideas off of. Um, so next question, if you could change or eliminate one thing, uh, it could be a modality, common practice, um, even like a mindset, really anything uh, in the field of athletic training what would you say, or what, what would that be for you? Uh, medical autonomy, um, which we're moving in that direction, but just for athletic trainers to be acknowledged as healthcare providers universally. And I don't work specifically in a medical model per se for DC public schools. I don't report to a physician um, or a physician doesn't evaluate me, but we have medical autonomy. And if I say a patient doesn't participate, they don't participate. Parents can't overrule me. Nobody in the school can overrule me. Um, all I have to do is turn to the officials and say number 27 is medically disqualified until I say otherwise. Um, so that has been critical, um, in our delivery of care here. And, um, again, you know, that, um, to know that I can make that decision for the safety of my patients without suffering repercussion, there's, I'm not going to get a poor evaluation. I'm not going to risk getting fired. Um, you know, I'm not going to risk, um, any punitive action for a decision I make for the well being of a patient. Awesome. Uh, then the last one of the five is what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? I was lucky enough to find my passion early. And um, there was a woman who um, graduated from the high school I went to, but she was older than me. She was the sister of uh, one of my classmates. And she went into athletic training. And we went to visit her um, for sibling weekend. And I just thought it was cool and fascinating. I thought she was cool and fascinating. So I wanted to be like her. And um, so then I was lucky enough to have parents that fostered that. So in seventh or eighth grade, back in the 
80s, who knew what athletic training was? And we all thought we were going to get paid $18,000 and teach all day. And then, you know, that it was going to be a lot different than the job I'm blessed to have now. And from that moment to now, I've never regretted it. And um, I think my biggest blessing was ending up in the D.C. public school system um, where um, these kids have given me, I can't even quantify what they've given back to me over the course of my, my career and, um, you know, what it's meant to make a, hopefully try to make a difference in their lives and, and show them, um, you know, a good path ahead. So, um, it's just been, like I said, I've just been so blessed to have found my passion early and stuck with it and it panned out the way I would have hoped. So. Awesome. Well, anything else you'd like to add, or if you care to, we'll link up your Twitter, obviously. Uh, but if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, the best way to get in touch with you? Um, yeah, I, I would say probably my email, which is just jennifer.reeling at um, gmail.com. Awesome. So I nice and easy, so easy to remember. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. This was great and I, I, I learned a lot about Thanks the current with stuff. Me. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, when you reached back out, I was like, oh, I was supposed to email them. I forgot. Well, <laughs> so I mean, for things happen to here, too, that we, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, all the sports. Yep. Well, we hope to run into you at some point in the future. Um, good luck as the chair of the uh, thank you. Off this summer. We'll be anxiously following that, see how it's going. And maybe we'll have to get a follow-up once you get into that a little bit more and see how okay, it's great. Yep. Thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. Oh yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh.